This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th, 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central European time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. So good morning, everyone. I'm uh, really happy and uh, honored to introduce uh, Robert Joseph, wine business consultant, editorial consultant, uh, five years uh, in Burgundy, founder of international wine magazines and the international wine competition, considered uh, the, biz- the biggest, uh, in the world biggest uh, wine competition, writer for uh, London Standard Telegraph, uh, over 25 books uh, on wine. He received uh, many, many amazing awards as the best wine guide in the world, appears in uh, TV, radio, and he launched uh, several uh, uh, wine school uh, around the world and uh, he's also a wine producer because uh, he's behind of an amazing uh, project of uh, over three million bottles per year uh, including uh, Le Grand Noir uh, uh, collection in uh, in one word uh, a great uh, connoisseur of wine and uh, and by the counter one of the most influential person uh, in the consumption of wine ladies and gentlemen Mr. Rosa Jones. Thank you very much. And thank you, Stevie, and thank you for the organizers. It's wonderful to be back here with friends in Verona, so, and to everyone who's actually watching. So we're talking about celebrity being the enemy of terroir, and this was a concept that came up during um, a clubhouse uh, session with Robert Camuto that uh, Stevie Kim arranged uh, a few months ago, in which um, it was actually Robert who came up with this idea that uh, celebrity wines, by which I don't mean famous wines, I don't mean Tignanello and, and Sasakaya, I mean wines associated with famous people, People, uh, were in some way an enemy of the concept of terroir. So um, I like this little slide. A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. I saw this when I was thinking about the connection between celebrity and terroir. Don Perignon and Lady Gaga. And some people are saying, why are LVMH and Don Perignon spending all this money on this singer-actress? Well, um, 
Dom Perignon is the most successful brand or most profitable brand in the world, I would say, probably. And they're not stupid. They know what they're doing. They know how powerful that woman is and her reach. So just on YouTube, around half a million people have seen it. But if you go and look on Instagram and elsewhere, this has huge reach. And of course, it goes through stores. It goes everywhere else. Sarcasm in your voice. And a short arm isn't good you don't think this is a very good plan, do you? So there is a plan. I got the impression we were... So the first of the recent James Bonds, um, this was Chateau Angelus. They paid quite a lot of money to have their bottles sitting there, very obviously, and they used that throughout the world, and they reckon it was money very well spent. So back to my woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Let's look at what is celebrity. So if we actually look at it, um, again, Robert Camuto had an argument of what celebrity really means, and he had a pretty 21st century or 20th century concept of it. But essentially, it means someone who is famous, a famous or celebrated person. And there's a book um, by the lady who you can see being quoted here um, called Sean Maris, called The Long and Strange History of, of Celebrity. And if we go back, we had celebrities 2,000 years ago or more than 2,000 years ago. And here we are in Italy and in Greece, and there are statues for some of these people. And here was one of the first people, Leonardis of uh, Rhodes, who actually ran in the Olympics naked, as you can see. And um, he was the first Olympic champion who did 12, won 12 races, and the most anyone's done until I think now. Um, and the Emperor Charlemagne. Um, who had the idea of reuniting or uniting Europe before the EU. Um, obviously, as a Brit, we hate him. Um, and we have Corton Charlemagne. And on the hill of uh, Le Corton, there is a bit of land, which um, we can actually say that is where the, Char the Emperor Charlemagne said you could make the best wine. He did the same thing in Germany. And people say, oh, that's where Charlemagne actually recognized um, the quality of the land. Julius Caesar, you know, all those coins, everything else. It was like a lot of image building by Julius Caesar. And then there was this Frenchman, well, Corsican, should be. There we go. So look, he even copied the headdress from Julius Caesar because he wanted to be seen as an emperor like the Roman emperor. And his favorite wine was Chambertin and Burgundy, which he used to have drunk, which he used to drink with water. And at the time that he was uh, a, an exile on Elba in France, Chambertin was the number one wine in Paris. So celebrity endorsement worked even then. By the way, Napoleon brandy, Napoleon cognac, there is no evidence that Napoleon ever drank any cognac. This is Henri IV of France, and if you go to the region of Jurançon, the cooperative is called the, uh, the Roi Henri IV. Um, they've got a wine called the Roi Henri IV, and the whole cooperative is named after him. So again, royal celebrity. And then Louis XIV, the Sun King, famous for helping a wine that wasn't French. It was Tokai, which became the wine of kings, the king of wine. So this goes back a long way. Then we go on to, I, was, I thought since I'm here in uh, this region of Italy, um, the courtesans of Venice were the fashion trendsetters. The same was true of the courtesans of Paris, of the royal court, and indeed in Britain, that when the King Charles II had a mistress, Nell Gwynne, people noticed what she did and they copied that. 
Um, this man is very famous in the world of, of, of fashion, Beau Brummel, who was a friend of the king in Britain, and um, basically the way he dressed influenced huge numbers of people, but that would also apply to other forms of behavior, which would have included drink and food and so on. And so you have all these other celebrities of their time, Rousseau, Byron, Voltaire, they're all known for what they did uh, as well as what they wrote. But the first modern celebrity was a French actress called Sarah Bernhardt, who was a very important actress of her day, who also um, performed male roles as well as female roles. And what was interesting about her was she used the technology of the age, which included radio and uh, cinema, to boost her uh, profile, let's say. And this was her, and she was, among other uh, things, she was the mistress of the English king, King Edward VII. Here she was, and she was also one of the people who put her name to something called the Van Mariani. Now, this is not a wine as you understand it. It was a tonic wine. Um, it competed with things like Coca-Cola in its day. It had um, cocaine in it, but it was a, a pick-you-up wine. But it was called a vin, a vin. And among the other people who put their name to it and promoted it were the Pope, Emile Zola, Alexandre Dumas. So this whole idea of famous people promoting products is not new. We're going back a long way. This is another lady who liked to be, who liked to be photographed lying down, rather like um, Sarah Bernhardt, Lily Langtree. Um, she's interesting. She was also the mistress of Edward VII, but not at the same time, as far as I'm aware. Um, but she opened a winery in California in 1888. Um, and the wine is now called Gwenock, where she used to uh, make her wine. This is another celebrity, Winston Churchill. Um, huge, yes, he was our prime minister. He was our wartime leader but he was also a celebrity in the sense that people were very aware of what he did. And Paul Roger Champagne has a cuvee Winston Churchill named after him. And in Britain, the black line around the champagne, the white foil, um, it commemorates his, um, his death, in fact. And we have another celebrity, this man. You may or may not recognize him. He is on holiday recently wearing a white shirt and painting, which is not something he's ever been seen to do. If you haven't recognized him, this may help. So we have a celebrity here who became our prime minister. On the top right, there he was on a TV show. Um, becoming. You've had that in Italy as well, so it's not just unique to us. And in America, this man, who was a very successful businessman, did not become president. This man did. Can you recognize these guys? Okay, Kim Kardashian. 95% um, awareness in America, only 50, I mean, 49% really don't like her, or only 51%, sorry, 51% dislike her, put it that way. But let's look at her family. Rob, 10 million. Courtney, 35 to 45 million. Kendall Jenner, 45 million. Chloe, 50 million. Caitlin, 100 million. By the way, my 15-year-old daughter knows all this stuff. 1.2 billion. Does anybody in this room know anyone in the wine business who's made a billion dollars out of wine? We all laugh at these people. They're not that stupid. But she is only 220th on the list of contemporary TV personalities in America. This list. And who is number eight? It is Gordon Ramsay, restaurateur, whose restaurants, by the way, have sold my wine, which is very nice. And 
he's a very well-known chef, he's a TV personality, and he has a wine. Of course he does. He has a set of wines. There's a Chardonnay on the left that costs $30, and there's a Cabernet on the right here that is $60. Do they taste of the place they came from? Yeah. Are they celebrity wines? Yeah. So what celebrity does is what you call social proof. It's basically, and when you were at school, you hung out or everyone tried to hang out with the, the cool kids. And if the cool kids came in wearing white trainers rather than blue trainers or whatever, you said, I want the same kind of trainers as him. It's a human trait. And we all choose the tribe and the, the, the set of people that we really want to emulate. And ideally, they are the successful ones. Digital marketing, and my friend Polly Hammond, I think, is in the audience and someone I've done some work with, is all about targeting your marketing at particular and your sales at particular uh, groups of people who you know are most likely to buy your wine. Well, of course, celebrity marketing is the same thing. Because on the left here, we have Kylie Minogue, the singer, huge number of fans. She's uh, Australian, but very popular in the UK and the US and, and, and Australia, and a very large gay following, as it happens. Um, and her wine has done very well, a million bottles in the first year, her Prosecco. On the right, we have um, Ian Botham, who played cricket, which is a game that isn't particularly well known in Italy. Um, he's not a young man. His audience for his wines is going to be a different audience to the Kylie Minogue uh, audience. But the same wine company is producing both of their celebrity wines. Now, Sarah Bernhard, as I said, used several new inventions to promote herself. Um, as I said, it was radio and uh, cinema in her day. Today, the modern celebrities do the same. Kylie Minogue, 2.3 million followers. When Kylie wants to tell you that she's got a new wine or tell the world, it takes her approximately a minute. All she has to do is take out her phone and go, dup, 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 I have a new wine, and up to 2.3 million people and all of their friends will know about it. But Kylie is a lightweight. Lady Gaga, 49.6 million. Snoop, 65.3. And of course, because I couldn't resist it, Kim Kardashian, 258 million people are following her on Instagram. Now that might give you some indication of why she's worth a billion dollars. Now there are different types of celebrity wine. I've had this conversation since I've been here. Um, John Malkovich makes weird blends of Pinot Noir and Cabernet Sauvignon and so on that many of my wine people think are very weird, but you have to admire Malkovich for making the kind of wine he wants to make. He's my kind of person. We now have other people like uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Brad Pitt and uh, Angelina Jolie who went and teamed up or employed people who were experts. So the Perrin, the Perrin family for uh, for Brangelina, Coppola paid winemakers, marketing people, and so on to run his business, and a very successful business they've both been. Then we have celebrities with a genuine interest in the subject. Now, Gérard Depardieu is a little bit of a sad character now, but some of us may remember when he was flying high as a celebrity actor, well, not celebrity actor, as an actor who was a celebrity, and he genuinely has an interest in wine, not just the alcohol in it. He actually certainly was interested in the quality and flavor, but so also is the British TV um, personality, Graham Norton, whose uh, Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand has done incredibly well. And then we have the last people, like Snoop Dogg, um, who actually just put their name to a wine. 
and they're the people who tend to get a hard time from the anti-celebrity wine people who think, no, no, wine has to be made by the people who own it, who love it, who ideally go out and go and pick the grapes themselves. So I'm taking a different view. If you like the celebrity, if you like Roger Federer, you're going to buy a Roger Federer tennis racket. Um, and if you like David Beckham as a footballer, you might well buy his perfume. Does that make sense? Well, it does to people who like David Beckham or Roger Federer. In any case, one of our, if you look in any bookshop, they're full of celebrity autobiographies. They're also full of cookbooks, either by celebrities or by celebrity chefs. Who writes those books? Do you really think the, author, the, the celebrities are writing those books? Did anybody actually ever imagine that Donald Trump wrote The Art of the Deal? He never even read it, most likely. So at least 60% of the celebrity books, autobiographies, are not written by the celebrities. But actually, they're very often very well written by very good ghostwriters. Would I rather read a very entertaining book written by a ghostwriter, which gives me the flavor of that celebrity, than a badly written, boring book by the celebrity themselves? No. So the difference between now and the past is that you can become a celebrity much more quickly, as Kim Kardashian showed. Kim Kardashian hooked on to Paris Hilton, who was a celebrity because she was part of the Hilton family and she looked good and did stuff. But she didn't actually produce anything, she just was famous for being famous. But if anybody can become a celebrity, any bit of soil today is a terroir. You know, I'm old enough to remember when there weren't very many terroirs. Romani Conti was a terroir. Corton Charlemagne was a terroir. But actually, Macon Viré, um, where I make wine in Provence, that wasn't terroir. That was just places where people made wine. Today, if you put a vine into the ground anywhere in the world, I have terroir and I am expressing it. Well, terroir is the somewhereness of any wine as... as um, an American writer called Kramer said. But the point about it, some somewheres are better than others. The fact that you can make wine somewhere doesn't necessarily make it good. And the fact that you're a celebrity doesn't mean you're interesting, or you're not going to be interesting necessarily to everyone, back to um, Kim Kardashian. So can a celebrity wine taste of place? Back to the initial question that we were asked, is celebrity the enemy of terroir? Here are just a few. Antonio Banderas makes wine in Ribera del Duero. It's not great, but does it taste Ribera del Duero? Yes, it does. Mary J. Blige is making wine in Friuli, or she's not making wine, but she's putting her name to the Fantinelli wine. It's Friuli. It tastes like good Friuli wine. Um, we've got Bocelli in Tuscany, James Bond Angelus we did, Carol Bouquet in Sicily, Brangelina in Provence. Does Miraval taste of Provence? Yes, it does. Dolce Gabbana in Sicily. Coppola in Napa with Inglenook. Did that taste like Napa? Of course it does. Gerard Depardieu in Condria, working with Alain Perret. Did it taste like good uh, Condria? Yes, it did. Yes, it does. Um, we've done Dolce Gabbana, I think, twice. Um, there we go. There we are. Ernie Els in Stellenbosch in South Africa. Kylie Minogue, not just Prosecco, she's Anne in Provence, she's making wine or putting her name to a wine made by Howard Park down in the southwest of Australia. Does it taste like Margaret River Chardonnay? Yes, it does. Sam Neill in uh, New Zealand, is his wine a good Central Otago Pinot Noir? Yes, it is. Graham Norton, we've done all of these people. And then Ivo um, Vanabov, famous musician in Bulgaria. Um, you don't, it's not easy to get the name of get Bulgarian wine promoted. 
he does his best when he's doing his concerts. And yesterday we did some Rocco Maggio wines, and I guess that Italo Zingarello, the, the previous generation, actually as a film producer, yeah, a celebrity. So we've said Kylie has done a million bottles, Snoop, just in two months, a whole year's um, production or production of that wine, and Mary J. Blige, huge numbers for um, Friuli. So basically, importantly, what celebrities do is very often they get people to drink wine who might not otherwise have been drinking that wine. People of color in America who follow Mary J. Blige are drinking wine from Friuli. Would they have been doing so otherwise? Probably not. Snoop Dogg is getting people to drink 19 crimes. It is not wine necessarily that all of us in this room want to drink, but those guys and women who are drinking that wine might not have been drinking wine otherwise. million opera albums because these three guys sang opera at the World Cup and the opera world hated it because, oh, no, 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 it's not opera, is it? Ten million albums. They turned a lot of people on to opera. Some stayed, most probably didn't, but they helped. I've got a consultancy challenge at the moment. I'm working for Moldova, which is not an easy country whose wines to promote, same as Bulgaria. But the good news you don't know, this is the first time you'll ever hear about this, Daniel Craig is getting a vineyard in Moldova. No. That is going to make a big change. No, I'm carrying on. Bond gets people's attention, excites their emotions. All celebrities excite emotions. Princess Diana, nobody knew Princess Diana, but everybody got upset when she died. When the Beatles broke up, these girls were absolutely heartbroken just because four guys stopped playing music together. And because a woman, a young woman, 18 years old, part Romanian, part Chinese, part British, British is what matters, won at the tennis in New York, these people are really happy. That's what celebrity does. It excites emotions. Does terroir excite emotions? Okay, wine has terroir. So does coffee, so does tea, so does olive oil, and so does chocolate. I went shopping here in Verona this week. This was a shelf of olive oil. It is from Europe. Where in Italy you make olive oil. You could buy Italian olive oil in there, but this was European oil. On the left, we have English tea. Do you know where in England we grow tea? Well, probably like the Italian coffee on the right. Where, where, where can I go and visit the Italian coffee fields in Italy? Wine professionals do care about which celebrities own which brands. I'm contributing editor to Mining Wine Business International. This story, who owns Chateau Miraval, was our most clicked on uh, story in the last two weeks by wine professionals. We seem to care as professionals. So let's look at terroir briefly. This is the Garda DOC, not a famous DOC outside Italy, but it's got an identity and so on. Outside this Venitaly Fair, there's a poster um, you may not see, it does say Garda, D-O-C there. It's a poster. Here's another poster I photographed while I was here um, in Verona. Um, Lady Blendy, it's a can of Merlot and Cabernet. It doesn't say where it's from. 
Now, what I'm going to think in my mind is that in this room, there are going to be people who have some strong feelings about at least one of those posters. But you've got emotions. That's what's important. Whether you hated it or you liked it, it actually made something happen inside you more than the data sheet that I put up on the terroir of Garda. So exciting emotions. Emotions are what make people choose one luxury more than another, and wine is a luxury. So if anybody asks you what score your wine has had, or its price, or if it's value for money, you are getting something wrong. Because when you go into the Ferrari showroom and, they, and you say, how much is this Ferrari? They don't show you the door, but they know you're not somebody who's going to buy the Ferrari. And the same for an Armani shirt or suit, the same for Don Perignon, the same for Latache. It's an emotional connection. So are celebrity wines good value for money? Probably not very often. Actually, are you paying extra for the celebrity to get some money? Yes. Um, but is that part of the value for me? Yes. The Roger Federer racket has an extra value because it's got Roger Federer's name on it. There may be a better racket that is not a Roger Federer racket, but I might feel better because I've got the Roger Federer one. So aim for the heart, not the head. As an industry, we spend far too long talking about points and scores and, and the fact that we've got gravel rather than granite, uh, and the fact that maybe we've been going for 500 years, all that stuff, and maybe even what food it goes with. That's all meant, that's all rational stuff. Actually move me, make me feel something inside. So on the right, this is two pictures I took in New York recently. On the left are the traditional wines, nothing wrong with it. I love those wines on the left. On the right are red blends. All they say, there's no grape variety, very often there's no region, it just says California, it says Napa. Most of my sommelier friends hate these wines. I don't necessarily choose to drink them myself, but they are selling at the same prices or higher prices than the traditional wines. Why? Because those labels are exciting the emotions, the imagination of the people who are buying them. Don't you remember? <laughs> That, ladies and gentlemen, was an advertisement for a wine. No vineyards, no barrels, no grapes. But it got you wondering, what's going on? Who is she? Where she's going? What's the story? The wine is called Eight Years in the Desert. It is a very big seller in the US. Not everything has to be about terroir. This is maybe the slightly shocking thing for some of the people. People are not necessarily buying wine because of terroir. They're buying it because of the grape, because of the flavor, because of all sorts of things. And that may not necessarily be a bad thing. So this is my thought at the moment. Belief that terroir is important, and I believe terroir is important, but it's a belief. It's something that I happen to believe in. My daughter does not believe that terroir is important to wine. She doesn't believe that wine is important. She's 15 years old. That's pretty normal. Do you know what she believes in? She doesn't think we should kill animals for food. 
She is a very solid vegetarian, has been for a year. Now, which of these two belief systems is the more important in the world? Which has the greatest validity? I'm scratching my head. I eat meat. But I have huge respect for her belief as a vegetarian. Now, if I had a restaurant, would I say, I only want meat eaters? Or would I say, I only want vegetarians? No, I'd want a restaurant which I say, right, I've got carnivorous options here, things for fish, eat, fish eaters there, and things for vegetarians. As a wine industry, we should embrace the people who want terroir, and we should embrace the people who don't, and accept both of them, because actually they're both giving us their money. So we have to understand that terroir is of interest to a minority of people, and everybody else wants an enjoyable drink. Now, I'm sorry about all of those of you who tweeted about the news about Daniel Craig. It wasn't true. But if it had been true, you'd have all been interested. The world would have been interested. So it would have helped Moldova. How can I go out and get something like this to happen is what's going through my mind. Celebrities are a crutch. It's a way of, actually, it's an easy, shortcut way of helping your product. But so is saying, I express my terror. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. So we're all going to have to find different ways to excite emotion. Like last night, I was at the event across the road that Pasqua did. And this excited my emotions, that light show installation. So did some of the images, and particularly this one on the right. I just love that image of that woman and that. It's so transgressive. It's got nothing to do with the way we all look at wine. And it made my mind do things. And it made me think, I want to taste that wine. So I'm going to finish off with another celebrity, Madonna. And this is her Ask Me Anything session uh, from a few years ago. Gerard from Dublin, what do you think has given your career such longevity and kept you eternally relevant? Rosé. Oh, I have to think you need some more. But we'll, we'll put this cork in here. Not Gerard from Dublin. Um, Patricia from Belfast, what advice would you give to your younger self knowing what you know now? Don't kiss Drake, no matter how many times he begs you to. Drake, by the way, is another singer, is a hip-hop singer who um, you may or may not know, but he does have a wine. Um, like Post Malone, and if you've been listening to Heine earlier, he said Post Malone's Rosé from Provence sold 10,000 bottles through Vivino in one day. So celebrities help sell wine. But back to Madonna. Does anybody watching this not wonder whose rosé it was that she was drinking? Celebrity actually works. It excites our curiosity and our imagination, but so do other things, and we need to find the other things, like the stuff I showed you from Pasqua, that get us thinking, and that would also include labels. So thank you all very much. I think I'm on time, roughly. Are we doing questions? Are you coming up here to do questions, Stevie? Yeah. Can you say who you are for the sake of the audience, of sure. online audience, please? Uh, great presentation, Robert. My name is Renee Sferazza. Thank you. I'm speaking later today. Um, my question is, I know that you focused on celebrity and caring about terroir, but do you think that 
people's aversion in the wine world to celebrity wines is not necessarily about terroir, but kind of it kind of keeping the exclusivity of wine and not as inclusive as we could possibly make the industry. I think that my problem, I'm, I'm working on a book at the moment on this. I think that we all have an idea of what we want wine to be. So I know people, Alice Firing, who is, who is somebody I have huge respect for, believes that if wine is not made according to the natural rules, it isn't wine or shouldn't be wine, or certainly, uh, certainly some people in the natural wine world see that. People think, oh my God, they're putting wine into a whiskey barrel, a bourbon barrel. That's disgusting. It's gross. It's, it's, it's a drink. People who like drinking bourbon like drinking wine that's been in a bourbon barrel. As far as I'm concerned, wine is like food. We have sandwiches, we have burgers, we have souffles, we have all sorts of stuff. And I hate a world in which anybody says all food should be like souffles or all food should be like sandwiches. We should just be inclusive. And so as far as I'm concerned, we have celebrity wines like we have celebrity perfumes, but nobody has to buy them. You can buy the other stuff. There's a lot of it out there. Again, great session. Thank you very much, Robert. Um, I'm Eleonora Scholes. I'm uh, from Russia and uh, observing your presentation. Uh, I also noted that, you know, in Russia, celebrity wines don't count. So do you have any observations about how the celebrities can actually make celebrity wines in certain markets? I think it's a very, very good question. And I'm very careful because I travel around the world and some things will work in one place. But when you say they don't count, culturally, does that mean to say, I mean, yours is a country in which your president appears on quite a lot of posters and so on. Um, are there no conductors? Are there no ballet dancers? Are there no people who, in their different way, um, can uh, prompt people's purchasing? Obviously, you have a problem in Russia in terms of laws against advertising and marketing of wine, which make it more difficult. But in some ways, they would make um, celebrity marketing even more useful because you can do it without necessarily talking about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know you. I, I, I sell a lot of wine in Russia. I'd love to know more. Um, as far as I, I'm concerned, I think people globally relate to actors, actresses, uh, sports people, and so on. So I think there must be ways but why and how, and maybe because wine has been siloed in some way, do you have celebrity spirits? Do you have celebrity beers? Do you have celebrity clothes? This would be the question I would ask you. Sidney so. Carter from PIX. I, just a quick comment. I think Russia does have a celebrity wine. Uh, Mr. Putin makes sparkling wine at his Black Sea winery, and he's already got it listed at, on state banquets, and people are copying it, so maybe it does have a celebrity wine. I think I'm not going to go there. Thank you very much, uh, Felicity. Um, whether it's actually promoted officially as being Vladimir Putin's wine, I'm not sure, but I think it's known to be. So that's, that's another way of looking at it. You certainly do have some business people in Russia with wine interests that, is, that helps. Any other questions? One more question. I have a question for you, yeah. Robert. As producer, my producer, okay? So you think that uh, there is not a risk to disconnect totally the terroir from the wine uh, because uh, the... My mentor, okay, Giacomo Takis, that was, uh, uh, for my personal opinion, the best, uh, the best winemaker in the world. And I had the fortune uh, to stay very close to him for, for many years. And uh, he always said, uh, don't forget that when you make a wine, the wine in the wine must be recognized. Character of the grape, character of the soil, the terroir, and the character of the winemaker. So that is the three important column to understand the wine. Okay, so I'm going to look at that in two ways. Um, firstly, 
I, and I, I'm great, obviously, um, Takis was one of the gods, but it's not all wine. He's talking about what you find in a three-star Michelin restaurant is what matters is the quality of the ingredients and what the chef did and so on. When you go and get a sandwich, when you go and get a, a pizza somewhere, does everybody really care where the tomatoes came from and where the mozzarella came from and so on when you're getting a pizza? A pizza is something you eat with your hands that is made well by the pizzeria, but it's a different part of the food world. So the first thing I'm going to say is not all wine fits the Takis um, uh, model. Fine wine does. So that's the first point. The second thing is whether you have made your wine, Takis, any of his other wines, or Romani Conti, the fact that a celebrity likes that wine and is attached to it does not change the product. So if James Bond likes Angelus, whether he's paid to like Angelus or he happens to like Angelus, the product, the liquid in the bottle is the same. So unfortunately, my prime minister at the moment apparently likes Tignanello. Mm -hmm. I would much prefer he didn't like Tignanello. I don't like to think about Boris Johnson and Tignanello at the same time in my head. But I guess there are people in Britain who like Boris Johnson who may well be drinking Tignanello because they're, from, they're, they're prompted to do so. Ultimately, the Tignanello in the bottle is still Tignanello. Grazie. Thank you. Is there anyone? Do we have any time? And is there any other questions? Are there any online questions? So Vanessa Green, on a lighter note, um, asks from Australia. By the way, she's our Italian wine ambassador from Australia. You're right, and I'm dying to know what Madonna was drinking. <laughs> you find out. Please let us know. I will. I'll call her. She hasn't returned any of my calls recently because she's a very busy lady, but I will give her a call later on. And hi to Vanessa and whatever time of day it is in, in Australia. Okay, so we have two more minutes. Any Anybody else? Okay, I want to um, be Robert Camuto for the moment. Go ahead. Okay. By the way, Robert Camuto, I just want to say quickly, although I've been arguing with, with what he said, I am a huge fan of his writing. He's got a new book out, um, but he's also, he did some wonderful celebrity interviews before he got into wine. He sent me one he did with Debbie Harry of Blondie in 1990 yeah, or something. Right? He's a great writer. Yeah. So he would ask, I think, something on the line of, okay, this celebrity wine's great for these damn celebrities. But what does it do for the wine producers, the small wine producers, um, it, everybody, okay, okay. small to medium-sized wine producers? How do they benefit from all these celebrities making, rich celebrities making even more money? Let's go down to Provence and go and talk to some of the small producers in Provence whose wines are selling for higher prices and much more easily since Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie actually turned up there. Let's go to Friuli and see if anybody there is selling more Friuli into the U.S. because there is a sun goddess wine that Mary J. Blige actually made. To be honest, it is, it's, there's, the big ship goes along, the little ships can follow in its wake, but it is up to those producers to say, how can I benefit from this, rather than say, oh my God, this is an awful thing they're doing. So if my wine, and I lived in Burgundy for five or six years, if I was in the little village of Panon Vergeles, which is not the most famous of Burgundy villages, which is down the road from the Courton Charlemagne, 
I'd sure as hell be hooking on to the fact that my vineyard is not that far from Cotton Charlemagne in the same way that in Bordeaux, so many producers say, ah, you know, my wine is just very close to Chateau Lafitte or Chateau Margaux. So the sun can shine beyond one particular field at a time. Okay, with that, let's give it up for Robert Joseph and Alessandro Celai. Thank you very much. You guys have to please get the hell out so I can sanitize the room. Thank you very much. In 15 minutes, we're back. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin-cin. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.